Hello and welcome to the Patelli Like It Is podcast. I'm your host Matthew Patelli, and this episode is going to be a little different. I'm gonna I'm recording this, and then I'm gonna post the the video version of it to my YouTube channel. And there'll be some things that I go over with a screen share and show some articles and play some videos that will obviously uh, be a whole lot more beneficial if you're watching the video on YouTube. But you can also still hear it on your uh, your favorite podcasting platform, whatever that may be. It'll be um, uploaded to there as well. So um, let's just dive right in here. Um, I want to discuss the Democratic debate from a few nights ago and my take on that, on how that went down and each candidate and where I see it going from here. So let's just run through the candidates one by one. Let's start with the front runner, Bernie. Um, I thought he came out pretty unscathed. I thought they'd go after him a whole lot harder. The only one who seemed to be going after him was um, Pete, and a lot of his um, blows didn't really land. Um, I thought that they would hit him a lot harder from all different angles didn't really happen. Um, so I thought he pretty much got away scot-free there. And then uh, next one, Warren. Warren still has it out for Bloomberg. She went at him hard again. Um, she also sucked up to Bernie a little bit in the beginning. So that could be an indication perhaps she's vying for the VP role or maybe just a spot in his cabinet. Um, next we got Pete. Pete... Um, Pretty much like he always is. He's kind of just like an empty suit. He kept trying to go at Bernie, and Bernie kind of just steamrolled him a few times. Didn't really work out well for him. And overall, to me, Pete is kind of just like blah. And I don't see him going anywhere at all with the nomination until he gets his uh, support with minorities, in particularly um, with African Americans, up off the ground. It has... It's always been non-existent. It's never really moved, and you can't be that low with minority support and expect to get the Democratic um, nomination. Next, uh, we got Biden. Let's see, Biden. Um, oh, Joe Biden. He didn't have a bad debate. Not he didn't have as many fumbles or gaffes as he normally does. Um, but I mean. He didn't do particularly well either. Um, he's got a firewall of support, of black support in, in the Democratic Party and a large voting contingency of the Democratic uh, voting bloc in South Carolina will be um, African-Americans and we'll see where that gets him. Is that firewall still there? Is it not? Um, to me, he's got he's to win by five or more points for us to be like, okay, he's still in this. He's still got a legit shot because um, he has made so many gaffes during the debates. He's not good. And if he doesn't win big in South Carolina, it's not a good sign for him. Um, next, we got uh, Amy. Amy's kind of, I like Amy. I like a lot of her policies, I like how she carries herself and how she does in debates, but she's not catching any steam at all. She's not really catching on, not doing well. Um, I don't expect her to do well on Saturday. And I don't see her dropping out. I don't see anyone dropping out after Saturday, being that Super Tuesday is only 
um, two full days away after that, you won't see anyone probably drop out till after Super Tuesday. And, and then that brings me to Tom Steyer. Now, this guy, he should have dropped out oh, a while ago. I'm not sure why he's still in there. And he's filthy rich, so it probably doesn't, you know, he's the money wise, it's not a huge blow to him. But um, I mean, yeah, every time he would speak during debate, I was always wondering why he was still in the race. And then lastly, we got Bloomberg. Bloomberg is the, the wild card here, the interesting one. Um, he did a lot better. He seemed more prepared in the second debate than the first one. I think, um, I know he's going to do well in states like Texas and Florida and New York. Um, when the voting comes around, he'll be in it to the end because he'll garner enough delegates from these states that will keep him viable all the way through the convention. He is spending money like it's going to rot, like it's got an expiration date on it. Um, and that has got him his polling support to where he is. In my opinion, he's the biggest threat to Bernie Sanders winning the nomination. And um, we'll see where that takes him. And then um, overall, how I feel about all of them versus Trump. Um, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't think Warren or Amy or Pete or Steyer have a shot at winning the nomination at all. So I'm not even going to tell you how I feel about them going up against Trump because it's not going to happen. Um, and then uh, Biden, I, Biden, he polls well still. I, I mean, I'm not sure why. It could be just like default support. Like, oh, yeah, you know, like who are you going to vote for in the general if it's Biden versus Trump? And people are like, oh, Biden, you know, because they know the name and he's VP to Obama. Obama was wildly popular. So, you know, it, that could definitely be one aspect of it. Um, I think he would actually do pretty well versus Trump. Now, I'm not sure uh, how this could change, you know, once the GOP and once Trump realize who their opponent is going to be and they start, you know, attacking that person with, you know, coordinated attack plan and attack. Uh, Tack ads and they get have throw start throwing tons of money towards their opponent. It'll change things. It'll change the uh, the national average from real real clear politics. That'll change for sure once they start attacking a specific candidate that they know they're going to face. Um, Bernie um, Bernie does pretty well versus Trump um, in a lot of the polls in a national election, but again. You know he's given them, he's given them some 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 ammunition to to go at him with his uh, praise of certain aspects of you know Russia back in the eighties, um, Cuba under Castro. I mean, he said some things that are true. They are true, right? Cuba did implement a literacy program where they got I think like ninety nine percent literacy up in their um in cuba you know they did they were giving a baseline level of health care um to their the the citizens of cuba um i believe they they had a cure for lung cancer or, or not a cure or vaccine i believe let me let me just double check this but um 
yeah, it's, you know, these things that he's saying are true. But, um, they're not, they're not politically, um, smart moves, in my opinion. Yeah, it was a lung cancer vaccine. Um, so, you know, they're, he's saying these things and they're, they're true and they are things to be celebrated, but we can't lose picture of the whole, the whole, uh, you know, we can't lose the whole picture here of what was going on in Cuba and what was going on in Russia as, as a whole with the country, um, how the, the government was treating its citizens, um, the authoritarianism, the nastiness, the killings, the people that were trying to flee these countries, um, you know, just because there are little certain aspects of a nation that are positive or, you know, can be seen in a, in a positive light, it doesn't mean uh, that the entire country is something to be celebrated. It's not. Um, and I, that's not what Bernie is saying, but that's how it will be misconstrued and turned around back against him used. Um, and that's why it's not smart politically for him to be doing this. The attack ads that are going to come out of the GOP and Trump's team are going to just be, wow, they're going to be pretty bad. And um, I mean, you even have people going at him, going at Bernie on the Democratic side and they either are intentionally forgetting when Obama did the same thing or they just don't remember. Um, it's it's not a good move. I wish he would stop. It's not a, a good political move. It's not going to play well in the general. These topics are, you know, as a whole, Cuba and Castro as a country, Russia during the Cold War, and communism, these, these, these topics are very deep. There's a lot of nuance to them. Um, and you can't get into that nitty gritty in a town hall or a debate. And they're not going to play well on the main stage in a general because a lot of people don't understand them and they don't have the time to get involved and they don't know their history. They don't know their politics. So it's not a good move for Bernie to be doing these things or saying these things. And, um, who else do I, yeah. And then Bloomberg. Yeah. Bloomberg will do pretty well. I think versus Trump, I think he would actually do pretty well. Um, now he's, I don't really see him winning the nomination, the democratic nomination outright. It'll have to go to a contested convention, but I think he would do pretty well. Um, in a general election versus Trump, the, a lot of the numbers bear it out. He'll get a lot of moderates. He'll get a lot of um, never Trumpers. He, we all know, he's got the money to um, really, really go after Trump and uh, go after him pretty hard. So those are the top three that I actually see one of them winning the nomination and then we'll see where it goes. Now let's not forget, you know, once they pick their VP, that could, um, you know, that could add or subtract from their support. You know, it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing depending on who they pick. And, um, you know, 
that brings me to Trump himself and the coronavirus and what is going on there, how he's just fumbling and bumbling his way through this, um, as we all know he would, because the man is just, he's unprepared, he's ill-prepared, he doesn't, he isn't equipped with what we need in a leader, in a president, to guide us through something like this. So I want to pull up um, a quick video here of him yesterday at the presser about coronavirus. Um, they ask him a question about the coronavirus and the CDC, and he just rambles incoherently, and it makes zero sense. So let me bring this up here. Consistently called for enormous cuts to the CDC, the NIH, and the WHO. You've talked a lot today about how these professionals are excellent, how they're critical and necessary. Does this experience at all give you pause about those? No, because we we can get money and we can increase staff. We know all the people. We know all the good people. It was a question I asked the doctors before. Uh, for the people we cut, they haven't been used for many, many years. And if we, they, if we ever need them, we can get them very quickly. And rather than spending the money, and I'm a business person, I don't like having thousands of people around when you don't need them. When we need them, we can get them back very quickly. For instance, we're bringing some people in tomorrow that are already in this, you know, great government that we have. And very specifically for this, uh, we can build up very, very quickly. And we've already done that. I mean, we really have built up. We have a, a great staff. And uh, using Mike, uh, I'm doing that because he's in the administration and he's very good at doing what he does and doing as it relates to this. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, um, what was he talking about? What What is he even talking about? Um, he, <laughs> we know a lot of good people. He, he, he knows a lot of good people. What does that mean? What does that even mean? The man just cut 19% of the CDC. And now he's appointing someone who he says is, is, you know, in the position and is equipped to handle a situation, in particularly one like this. How? I mean, Mike Pence... He, he's at odds with science. The man doesn't accept scientific consensus, scientific research, scientific um, findings. He doesn't think evolution is real. It's 2020. Our vice president doesn't think evolution is real. He thinks, I guess, it's made up or make-believe. Not, I'm not sure. but And then he's put on to head up um, a virus. Viruses mutate, they evolve. He doesn't believe in evolution, though. He, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's idiocracy. We're living in idiocracy. It's, and it's, it's funny, for sure, but it's scary, too, when situations like this arise and you have uh, Mike Pence um, being appointed to, to look, you know, oversee something like this. Now, could it be Trump is setting him up for the fall guy? Does he does he know that Mike Pence really isn't equipped to oversee something like this? 
And so if, if he fails and it doesn't work out, Trump can say, oh, hey, look, Pence messed up. He can throw it all on Pence. Pence didn't do well. And then if it does go well and things do turn out fine, he can say, Trump can say, well, look, listen, I appointed Pence. I knew what I was doing. I appointed the right guy for the job to handle it and take care of the situation. So it could be that Trump is setting himself up to uh, be in a good position either way. I mean, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see on that, but we do know for sure that that is... Um, that's right up Trump's alley. That's his M.O., right? Um, he's, he's turning a, a scare of a virus that is affecting people worldwide and is, is killing people. He's turning it into a, uh, a partisan issue. Uh, in that same presser, he was asked about the stock market dropping nearly 2,000 points in two days. It's down further today because of the coronavirus. And he says that the stock market crashing is actually because of the Democratic debate the other day. And markets are scared that one of the... one of the the Democrats are going to potentially become president. This is just next level asinine. I mean, we're still about a year away. We're about a year away before if one of the Democrats wins actually gets into office. We're almost a year away from that. And the market and people are clutching their pearls um, because they're maybe a shot that one of the Democrats wins the presidency and is in office about a year from now the man will do anything to not be blamed and to deflect and to put the blame on someone else or something else um, other than himself it's disgusting and particularly in an instant like this with um with an infectious disease spreading around the world. And then uh, let me let me just pull up a little bit here to show you a little bit about um, Mike Pence and how this is this is so just scary stuff, truly frightening stuff that he is gonna oversee this. Let's see here. So there's an uh, article in the Washington Post from the 27th. So Mike Pence was. He was criticized um, for his handling of the HIV outbreak in Indiana, and now he's heading up and overseeing the U.S.'s coronavirus response. Remember, Trump appoints and puts all the best people, all the best people. So let's just read some of this here. Trump said (laughs) about Pence, Quote, he's got a certain talent for this, end quote. <laughs> oh, man, that's laughable. That is laughable. He's got a certain talent for this. Okay. Okay, so Pence oversaw 
the worst HIV outbreak in the state of Indiana's history, happening in 2015. Critics blamed Pence's belated response and his opposition to the authorizing of a needle exchange program. Two months passed from the start of the outbreak in 2015 before Pence declared a public state of emergency. Is this because he doesn't know what he's doing or he just doesn't believe in science or doesn't understand how it works? I should I recant that. I hate when people say believe in science. You don't believe in science. It's, it's a process that we as humans use to get a little bit closer to the truth. So uh, let, let me move on here. <laughs> the spread of the disease was attributed to people injecting Opana, an addictive painkiller, with shared needles. But Pence didn't agree with federal health experts that distributing clean needles was a good idea. So he knows better than the health experts now. This is another huge problem right now in this country. We have people who aren't qualified to, and they're challenging people who are qualified, who are experts in certain fields. And this, this is a problem, right? We, we have to listen to experts. And the best thing to do when you maybe don't agree with an expert is to get another expert's opinion in the same field. Not to um, disregard what federal health experts are telling you about distributing clean needles because some reason you find it more beneficial to not distribute clean needles. This is uh, what... Um, Pence said here, quote, I don't believe effective anti-drug policy involves handing out drug paraphernalia. Oh, man. Clean needles. And he automatically associates them with drug paraphernalia. Oh. Let's continue here. So, despite assurances from the Center of Disease Control and Prevention that it is an effective way to halt the spread of infectious disease, such as HIV, hepatitis B, and C, Penn said if state lawmakers tried to send him a bill for needle exchange program, he would veto it. As cases continued to spike, Pence reportedly turned to prayer. This is the guy that's overseeing an infectious outbreak appointed by the mango menace himself. The idiocy is funny, yes, but it's also scary, and it's going to get some people killed. He turned to prayer. This is insane. He's throwing prayers up at Jesus hoping that he would stop the HIV spread. Pretty sure that didn't work out. And then finally, after 75 people were confirmed to be HIV positive, 
Pence announced he would allow a 30-day needle exchange. Ooh, a whole month. It took for 75 people to get infected with HIV. For him to realize that speaking to an imaginary man in the sky wasn't solving the issue. The article goes on here. Public health officials weren't the only ones to warn Pence about delaying action. State Representative Ed Clure, a fellow Republican, also pushed Pence to approve the needle exchange. Quote, it was disappointing that it took so much effort to bring the governor on board. Surely was. It surely was, Ed. Real disappointing. This is... Let, let's, just, let's just go on here. In 2018, researchers at Yale University found the epidemic could have been prevented, could have been prevented if Pence and state officials acted faster. The study received financial support from the federal government. Forrest, this is a quote from Forrest W. Crawford, the paper's senior author. Quote, our findings suggest that with the earlier action, the actual number of infectious infections recorded in Scott County, 215, might have been brought down to a fewer than 56 if the state had acted in 2013 or to fewer than 10 infections if they had responded to the hepatitis C outbreak in 2010-2011, the paper's senior author. Instead, they cut funding for the, for the last HIV testing provider in the county. End quote. Oh, man. And Trump, Trump uh, he thinks that this guy, Pence, he's, this is the one that's qualified to oversee a potential epidemic of coronavirus spreading in this country. This is after the fact that uh, Trump proposed cutting the CDC by 19% a few weeks ago. This is frightening stuff. So here we have, uh, looks like we have Yale epidemiologist Greg Gonsalves told the Washington Post Gonsalves that Indiana's response was a textbook case for how not to do it. Quote, it was a total collapse of public health leadership and uh, derelication of duty in Indiana, he said. They could have avoided this epidemic if science took the lead instead of ideology, end quote. Frightening stuff. Do we think Pence has learned his lesson? Well, I mean, we're going to find out, right? Has he, has he learned his lesson in listening to the experts who know more about him in certain topics? Has he listened and heard the deafening silence of no response from prayer we'll find out like i said this could be this could be trump's way of of you know deflecting and avoiding blame himself you know, he appoints trump or he appoints pence pence fails miserably and he just says look it's on mike pence he's he oversaw the he was the uh heading up the, the problem here. He was overseeing this and it didn't work out. And then if it works out, he can say, look, I appointed the right guy. He took care of the whole thing. Trust my judgment. I mean, we'll see. Could be. 
Um, frightening stuff. Frightening, frightening stuff. Let's, uh, let, let me just, before, before we close out here, I don't want to worry people too much. So let's go into uh, coronavirus and um, see if we can figure out, you know, find some, some of the statistics on the virus itself and how fast it's spreading and it's, uh, you know, it's death rate and, and so forth. So the most recent outbreak was in Italy. Let's uh, pull this up for you here. 650 cases, 17 deaths. Um, the cases spiked more than 50% in just 24 hours. Now, one of the things about coronavirus that makes it a little different than, let's say, like SARS or something, is, is corona is, is airborne. It can spread through the airs and droplets. So if people sneeze or if they cough, um, it can spread that way. So it's spreading a lot faster. Um, now, from what we know, the, the, the death rate is much lower, though. Uh, now, we have um, some Japanese in Japan, some uh, outbreaks over there as well, it seems. Let's, um, let's go back, see if we can find some, see if we can find some death rate. So the sample's overall case fatality rate was 2.3%. Um, the Chinese Center for Disease and Control and Prevention, 72,314 corona case, coronavirus cases in mainland China as of February 11th. Now, it's also been, um, we've also been hearing that some of these numbers coming out of China may be very, very skewed as they're trying to cover up uh, some of the aspects of the disease in terms of death rate and how fast it's spread and and uh, so forth and so on. Now, we don't know if that's accurate. We don't, obviously, can't really take that as uh, as truth, but it, it could definitely be likely. We know China and their practices as a country as a whole aren't the best. So take that with a, with a grain of salt. With all that said, I don't think we, you know, we have to be too, too worried as in, in terms of, um, you know, for your own safety. Now, in terms of children and the elderly, that's a different story. If you're a young, um, healthy person with a healthy immune system, it seems like you'll be okay. There are some cases where it still killed people who seem to be healthy and younger, um, but it definitely will knock you on your ass. It, it, that clear. That is a uh, seems to be pretty evident. And we have uh, we have the markets crashing because of it, and. Um, my portfolio is, it's ugly. It's ugly. Um, and, you know, we'll see where it goes. I'm sure the markets will correct as the days go by. And, you know, things will get better. And hopefully, you know, I don't like Trump, obviously. I don't like his administration. I'm not a fan of Pence. But in a situation like this, you have to hope 
uh, for the best, and you have to hope that they actually do their job efficiently and effectively because people's lives uh, are going to be altered because of this. You know, people potentially, you know, kids go out of school, they close schools, you know, people don't go to work, so they lose money. Some people can't afford to miss a paycheck or two. And, you know, some people may may die. So, you know, it, it definitely is something that you want to see taken care of um, and helped along by a government that is capable of doing so. I am just very doubtful that they are competent in doing so. So if you like the podcast and you want to support it, there are a few ways you can do that. You can share it on any one of your social media platforms. You can talk about it on your own podcast. You can rate and review it on all the relevant podcasting apps like Apple, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can reach me at P-I-T-T-E-L-L-I, like it is, at gmail.com.